how's everybody's week been? Good? So great to be back preaching with people in the room, you know? As I was said last week, it's like for like 20, 20 of the 22 weeks, I was the only one in the room, just me and the camera. And you know, you really have to just pull on the Holy Spirit and be like, I believe that you're getting to me what you need. Because you know, it comes out different. You can preach the same message to different people and it'll come out different because the Holy Spirit knows what you have need of. He knows what those who are watching via online have need of. And so Garnet was making the comment when he came in, he's like, did you preach a different message to put online last week? Because he was here in person and he watched the online service and it was the same notes for me. They were two completely different messages. And so if you want to hear what's happening on Sunday, if you want to hear exactly what you heard, again, you can go to uh, wordchurch.ca, click on current messages, and listen to the audio version right now. Right now we're doing an online pre-recorded one, and the audio version will be what you guys hear on Sunday mornings. Well, are you ready to get into the Word? I don't think we are. Now, you ready to get into the Word? Holy Spirit... We know that you were the one that inspired these men and women to write down these words. You were the one that inspired them straight from the heart of God. I love what the book of John says, that you only speak what you hear the Father say. And so what you inspired to be written down came straight from the heart of God. And we thank you, Father, that we can know your heart. We can listen to your heart. We can be drawn after your ways and walk in your precepts, that there doesn't matter what anybody else in the world is doing I would rather be after your heart God and so as we open your word today I thank you God I see your heart I know your heart I hear your intentions I hear your words speaking directly to me because you are my dad and we are in relationship and so Holy Spirit I thank you that as you've already been in this place as we worshiped right now we thank you that you open the word You reveal it. You bring revelation knowledge this morning, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I'm just so grateful to be able to say this morning, because as Jessica gives me a hard time, like if you notice in the recordings, there's times where I go to say this morning, and I catch myself and say today, because I have no idea when they're listening. And that's one of the great things about the online side of things is like, you know, on Sunday mornings, we have a church at 11, but with the online, people have been watching Friday night, Saturday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and it just, it allows us to be able to like, oh God, I just need to hear something from you right now, on demand, ready to go. You know, technology is great. You know, it should allow us to connect and reach more and more. It's not something that needs to be feared. You know, last week we started a new series called Simple Things. And I, I think I've I'm, I'm really in, been enjoying delivering this so far and what God's got on my heart for where we want to go with it. But we often, in our lives, we look for the major things. What are the big changes that I can make or the big things that I need to do, thinking that they are the ones that have the greatest impact on what we do. But it actually is the opposite It's the little things in our lives that are setting the course and the direction for where we go. They have the greatest impact. It's not what you do occasionally that changes your life. It's what you do every day. 
It's what you've already done today that is setting your direction and your path. And that's something the Holy Spirit said to me. It's probably five or six ago, years ago now. I was going through a rough time in my life, and I was like, God, what do I need to do? And I was doing the, exactly what I said. I was looking, what are the big changes you need me to make? And he said this simple thing that I've just, I just remember exactly how he said it to me. He said, don't do occasionally what you should do daily. And don't do daily what you should only do occasionally. You know, I think it goes hand in hand with what Paul said in Corinthians. He said that all things are lawful to me. I mean, I can do whatever, but not all things are beneficial. And so there's things that we can be doing on a daily basis that are fine. They're okay in, in a general sense, but they are not beneficial to the, the, where, where we are right now and the direction we're wanting to go in our lives. Now, we know, we know how to apply this in a natural sense. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. You know that you should not eat cake every day. Some of us do it anyways. You know, I was bored yesterday, so we went out and we bought pies. We got a blueberry pie and we got a pumpkin pie. Robin says, I said we, but she said you. You did it, Jordan. You did it. Yes, that was me. And that is fine. Having pie is not a bad thing. I enjoy pie. I get that from my mother. She loves pastry. She doesn't actually care what's in the center. She's eating the pie crust. That's why she got it. And so I was just like, I feel like pie, so I got pie. But how many of you know that we shouldn't do that every day? Because then you end up having to buy a new wardrobe because your clothes have gotten too tight. And most people have been in the place in their life where they're like, I'd rather for my wardrobe to get looser, not tighter. And so we know how to apply these things in a natural sense. You know you should work out. You should have some type of activity that you shouldn't do it occasionally. But we don't always do it daily, though we should. And so we know how to apply these things naturally, but we also need to apply these same type of principles spiritually. There's things that we should be doing daily, the simple things that have the most impact in our lives. And as we said, the wisest man who ever lived in Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15 says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's the little things. And so when we come before God, I say, God, what's the most important things? The simple things. What, what have the most value to me on a moment-by-moment, -moment, a day-by-day -day basis? You know, I love how the Passion Translation actually says this verse. It says, verse 15, You must catch the troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship. Now, in context, he's talking about your relationship and his relationship together. This is, this is a, a love letter between God and his beloved. And so he's saying, you must catch the troubling foxes, the sly little foxes that hinder our relationship. There's things that we can allow to get in between us and him. Now, there, there is no wall that will ever separate you that he made but there are plenty of walls that will separate us that we make. He'll never draw back from you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But that doesn't mean we won't stop listening. We won't stop acting. We won't stop coming to the throne room of God. And that's why the writer of Hebrews, I believe it was Paul, said, come boldly before the throne of God. 
Meaning, because some of us like to stay on the outside. And he said, come boldly, come in. We can put the walls up that hinder our relationships between us and him. But he will never put anything that will keep you away. That's why we have to take on his heart. Because when we pull on his heart, as we talked about when we were uh, two months ago with the Holy Spirit, he's the great unifier. He brings us together and unites us. He brings us to the Father and brings unity between us and him. And so he said we must catch those troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship. For they raid our budding vineyard of love and ruin what I've planted within you. There's things that gift and a talents that God has put on the inside of us that we can allow other things to come into our lives and ruin what he's planted. And then he says, will you catch them and remove them for me? I love that question. Will you catch them and remove them from, for me? We will do it together. Let's think about that for a second. We will do it together. He never asks you to walk this journey alone. Any aspect of your life, if you feel like you are alone, you've forgotten his promise, which is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When you feel loneliness, it is a lie from the enemy. He's got you to believe that you've been separated. Loneliness is not from God. Relationship, fullness of joy, length of days, long life. These are the things he satisfies us with. Fear, as we were talking about last week, was not something he gave us. Intimidation is not something that he does. And loneliness is not a gift from God. Now there's some of us who enjoy being by ourselves. But that should never include you and God being separate. He says, will we, we will do it together. So last week we were preaching out of Daniel chapter 3, which is the simple story of the three Hebrew children. You know, Nebuchadnezzar puts up his big statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. He plates it in gold and says, everybody come worship me. And we know how the story goes. The, the three Hebrew children won't bow. They won't get down because they don't bow to anyone but God. And uh, the astrologers quickly point out, you know, those three Hebrew kids, they, they're not bowing. You know, people always love to point out your faults and your problems. That's just a word for us to look for the good things in people and lift them up. And so they get pointed out quickly that they won't bow. And they get taken before King Nebuchadnezzar, who's not happy about the whole thing. And he begins to say, you know, I'm going to give you one more option. I'm going to give you one more chance. Come on, I'm going to blow all the horns again, and you can kneel down and worship. And he ends his statement with this. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And up until this point, the three Hebrew children have been silent. They know that, that all they've done is an act of resistance. And they've been brought before the king. And at these words, their silence disappears. 
Because when you're thrust into a situation that you didn't cause, but you've still found yourself in, you better know who your God is. It doesn't matter if the Nebuchadnezzars of your life know who God is, but you better know who your God is. You better know his character. You better know his outflowing love and his faithfulness. You better know that his goodness and his mercy are new every morning. That there's nowhere that you could run on this earth where he wouldn't be. That there's no situation you'll ever find yourself in that he won't jump right into the middle of. It doesn't matter if the Nebuchadnezzars of our situation know who God is, but it's very important that we do. It is the simplest thing that we need to establish our life on. Who is your God? Who is your God? You know, I like what Paul said, and we ended with it last week. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. And because he knew who he believed, it led him to not be ashamed. We know that from reading the story of Paul, he went through all kinds of hardship, did he not? He was shipwrecked. He was whipped multiple times, he was stoned, he was beaten, he became an outcast from his own, his own families, the, the Jews. And through all of that, the thing that kept him going and kept moving forward is he knew in whom he believed. And he said, and because he knew he was believed, he said, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day, meaning he will see it through to the end. He's not like a human who will fail along the journey. He can keep it, he can see it through until until its finished point. Sometimes we give up when God's saying, no, I'm still ready to run another lap. And Paul said, I'm persuaded that he can keep what I've committed to him. And if he's still keeping it, Keep on keeping on. And the word that Paul used here when he said, I know in whom I believe, is the word edo. And it means to see, to perceive, to discover, and to use your senses. And so how did Paul come to know in whom he believed? He experienced it. He walked it out. The language here describes a journey not an arrival. Meaning Paul hadn't reached the end, but he sure as heck was going to keep walking and learning more every day. That he was going to pursue and experience and learn more. You know, we see this reflected when he was talking to the Philippians. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, that I may know him. He's talking about his life manifesto. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection that I may progressively become more and more intimately acquainted with the depths of who he is. And that I may know the power that flows out from his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings to be being conformed to his death. If by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. But verse 12, he says this, not that I have already obtained attained. 
Not that I've already attained. Meaning at this point in Paul's journey, he's already come a long way. He doesn't feel like he's finished learning more about God and knowing Him more. Because every day is a new opportunity for us to see a little bit further into God. And you will never get bored of discovering His depths. If you do, it's because you've stopped looking. And how do we know that? Because there's a group of angels that fly over his throne, and on every pass they see something new and go, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And they've been doing it since the start of their creation and will continue doing it. And if they have done it on every pass, every day we can see a little bit further. So he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. So Paul says that he knows him, that he's discovered him, that he has, through use of experience, has become to be able to trust in who God is. And I really think that there's three levels of knowing. Three levels of knowing. And the first and the simplest level of knowing is to know of God. I'm pretty sure that if you ask 99% of the inhabitants of this earth, have you heard of God? Have you heard of Jesus? Most of them will have at least heard his name. That's the lowest level of knowing. The second level would be to know about God or to have some cursory details or facts about him. So, number one just knows the name. Number two might know a few of the details. But number three, I just call the state of knowing God. You know, as a relationship develops, you begin to know the ins and outs of that person. You know, they say of an old married couple that they can finish each other's sentences. Why? Because relationship has grown. On day one when they met, could they do that? And on day one when you met God, he knew everything about you, but you didn't know everything about him. And so through our journey with God, we move about. We once were told about Jesus. We received him into our lives. Some facts, some details were given to us as we moved to step three. And we've been spending the rest of our time since that moment of salvation progressively becoming more and more and more acquainted and in relationship with Almighty God. And I believe knowing God involves knowledge. You need to know some things. But on our side, it involves pursuit. There's a desire to know more. And as we pursue and begin to know more, we begin to experience. Now, you can talk to certain people and you hear how they talk about God. You know that they've had very limited experience with God based upon how they talk about him and what their expectations are of him. You know when someone has got a relationship with God, a deep relationship. You know, I think of my friend Spiros Volgaris in Greece. 
you, there's no denying that this man has full-on relationship and is in love with God. He comes before him and he's just like, oh, Daddy God, oh, it's so good to be with you. It's me, your son. And, you know, just the, the words that come out of him when no one else is around. You know, people put on a show, but when no one else is around, what comes out of you? You know when people have begun to experience. And when you begin to experience God, you begin to trust Him. You know, you can view these three levels of knowing kind of like a relationship, uh, 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 um, a conversation, if you will, with three different people. So say I, I come to person number one and I say, hey, ha have you, do you know John Smith from North of Seven? And person number one, in category number one would say, I've heard his name before. And then you go to person number two and say, do you know John Smith from North of Seven? And say, yeah, I I've heard his name. Isn't he that crazy guy who, you know, builds those, those weird uh, uh, metal structures? And, you know, he he's just kind of like an oddball, isn't he? And, you know, I heard recently that he's been driving some teenagers off of his property with assault guns, like one of those crazy eccentric people. And then you go to person number three and you say, do you know John Smith from North of Seven? And their response is, oh yeah, I know John. I've known John for a lot of years. He's a great guy. You know, you will never meet a more passionate and creative person than John. He is such an artist. He creates these masterpieces out of scrap metal and wood. And people pay thousands of dollars from all over the world to have his creations. He is just like one of the most nicest guys you will ever meet. It's been quite a shame though lately. There's been some teenagers that have been vandalizing his property. And they destroyed one of his sculptures that was ready to ship out. And he had sold it for $50,000 to a prince from Abu Dhabi. Who knows John Smith? And so we have three different levels of knowing. And our job as Christians is to live every day getting deeper in number three. Knowing God and becoming acquainted with the ins and outs of his characters. And my goodness, sometimes he can just be funny. He can be weird. He can be sarcastic. You know, some of the things that God has said to me in the past, I'm like, I can't believe God just said that to me. <laughs> but he's not a stuck-up person sitting up there on the throne with zero personality. Where do you think you got yours from? If you can have weird, kooky people here on earth, where do you think they got it from? From the heart of their father. It says, he who sits on the throne laughs. Maybe because he watched you this morning. <laughs> so Paul said, for I know in whom I have believed. I've been on a journey of discovering with my senses, with my understanding. I'm getting to know God more and more each day. So what are some of the paramount things that we need to know about God? We don't have time to cover them all today. But the, the thing that, the simple thing that we need to have at the forefront of everything we know about God is this very simple thing. You ready for it? Love. Oh, Pastor Jordan, yeah, no, I, I've heard. Yeah, God, he's love. Yeah, we've got that. The simplest things are the things that will hold you 
in the darkest night. It's the simplest things you'll be able to repeat subconsciously and habitually because it's not complicated. And yes, you may know it, but there's nothing more. If you forget everything else you've learned on this earth and everything else you've learned about God, please don't forget about how much he loves you. So with the time we have left this morning, I would like to go over to 1 John chapter 4. You doing all right this morning? First John chapter 4, and let's start off like right in the, in the first verse. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. I would like to change that a bit this morning and say, people, don't believe every situation that walks into your life. Test the situation. Don't believe the words that come out of everybody else's mouth. Test them through the word of God. Whatever situation you find yourself in, there better be something that you measure it by. Don't take things at face value, take things at God value. So don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they have God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. And so many of us are looking for the physical embodiment of the Antichrist, but there is very much a, 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 a relational, a situational embodiment of the Antichrist. Christ already at work in this earth, and it's anything that is anti-Christ. And many things we come in contact with every day are blatantly anti-Christ. Test them, garbage heap them, and hold on to the real thing. Verse 4, he says, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. What, what have you overcome? A better question is, what haven't you overcome? And that's nothing. He's overcome it all. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That one statement should put everything in perspective. I feel alone. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I feel like I can't get through this situation. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. I just feel like I'll never be able to get another job. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I feel like I'm too far in debt. Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. Whatever your situation is, if you put it through that lens, it should put a little fire in your belly. If we drop down to verse 7, it says, Beloved, and I love how John always uses this term. And it's not because John knows everybody that he's writing to and loves everybody that he's writing to. It's because he knows the God he's talking about loves them. And so he calls them beloved. Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and, everyone say it with me, knows God. So, we see here that love is a byproduct of us knowing God. 
If we feel like we no longer remember how to love or feel like we have a shortage of love to give to those around us, if we begin to know God again, love will begin to flow again. Life makes us a little jaded sometimes. It makes us a little stop up the wells of love flowing out from us. Get to know God once again and love will grease the wheels. It says, he who does not love does not know God. Now that doesn't mean that you can't be, in, be a child of God, but there may be some things that you're forgetting and you don't know anymore about who God is. Love flows out of those in relationship with him. For God is love. Not that God has love, and I always like to make that di distinction. It's not that God has love to give. He is love. Meaning it's what he produces every moment, every action that he does, every thought process that he has is moving and motivated by love. If someone has love, if Jess, Jess has cookies, say she's got six cookies, and she starts to hand them out. Once she gets past her own kids, she's already down to three cookies. And then she comes over here to my kids, and please don't give them cookies, Jess. She gives her last three to Bennett and to Pierce and Montgomery. But Harrison, Jess has no more cookies to give. You are out of luck this morning. That's okay. Mommy's always got cookies for you. <laughs> if God has love there's a chance that he could run out. Because has indicates that it's finite. Is is something that's part of his nature, unseparatable from him. So for God to run out of love, he would have to stop existing. And he is self-existent, meaning nothing in our universe causes him to exist. He exists apart from it which means that his love supply can never run out. And by you knowing him, your love supply has an endless supply. Because by knowing him, love flows from him, through you, to you, to those around you. And he says, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us, or put in action and put on display, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So the love or the proof of its existence was put on display in the sacrifice of Jesus. Do you believe Jesus did what He said He did? Then you should believe that His love never ends for you. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that's very important. To, we're not talking about this morning how much you love God. Because you are not love. God is love. So your love will be finite. There will be days where you wake up just in a flat-out bad mood 
not wanting to love yourself or love those around you, and God doesn't have those days. And so God never measures what is good for you based upon how much you love Him because He knows your love already fails. He already knew that humanity had failed. When the law was put into place, He already knew that they couldn't keep it, so He sent Jesus who could not fail so that it would never be based upon something that fluctuates from day to day. So this is not about how much you love God and religion likes to tell you you got to love God you got to love God and I tell you this morning stop trying to love God <gasps> don't even try don't even bother stop trying to love God let God love you I'm pretty sure Paul said Look at him as though you were a mirror. Let what he is reflect off of you. If you try to be the source, you will fail. You are a receiver and a reflector of all that he is. And verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. So John is, again, just like Paul, not talking about the cursory knowledge of step one and step two in knowing. He's talking about step three. I have known about it, and because I've experienced it, I now believe in it. That the love that God has for us, that God, God love is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You ready to start bringing this in for a landing? Let's think about this. Verse 17. Love has been perfected among us. But Pastor Jordan, you said our love fails. Right. But his love doesn't. And the perfectness of it is already in its fullness in you. When Paul or John used the word perfected here, he was using a verb, meaning the action has already been carried out. It's been carried through completely. He completed it. Perfect love doesn't need to be attained to because it's already reached that level in Christ Jesus. And so it says love has been perfected among us in this that. So Jesus was perfect love so that something could happen through you. That. This happened so that something else. He's about to tell us because Jesus' love was perfect, because God's love is perfect, what is now possible? You ready to find out what is possible? What is the that referring to? Okay, we'll just end there then. <laughs> Nobody seems to care. Come on. Do you, do you want to know what is possible to you because love has been perfected? It says that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. So many people are lacking confidence and boldness in what God has said about them. But when you come in contact with perfect love, it gives you a spine. It gets you to stand up a little straighter and say, how dare you defy my God as David did when the giant taunted the God of Israel. Who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? I'll chop your head off and feed you to the birds. 
It gives you a spine. It says that you might have boldness in the day of judgment. And I always hear this preached as judgment day at the end when we all stand before God and he uses the balance scales and says, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You want to know something? He's not talking about judgment day here. This word he uses for judgment is the word crisis, which is where we get our word for crisis. When can you have boldness? In your moment of need, in your moment of crisis, when you know the love of God, you can stand up and say, I'm not going under. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going down today. I'm not going to the grave. This sickness shall pass because the blood of Jesus, the stripes of Jesus have borne it. In your day of judgment, in your day of crisis, whatever it may be, let the love of God at it because it'll give you a little bit of boldness. Yes. And what do you need in a fight? You need a dog that's got a little bit of spirit in it. Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Love is just a simple thing, Pastor Jordan. It's a simple thing that will get you through. Yeah. Who is your God? Do you know that? He loves you. Why don't you stand up with me? Father, we just thank you for your love. We know that it never runs out, it never gives up. We are so glad that you love us. We thank you for your love today, God. We know that whatever situation we are in, we can walk through because your love is right there with us. It's walking us through. It's been perfected among us so that we can have boldness in the day. What is that day? This day. Today, I thank you for your love. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. I thank you for your love today. I choose to magnify your love in my midst, Jesus. I thank you that your love will never leave me. It will never forsake me. That it is new every day. I thank you for your unsearchable riches of your love. I thank you that there is no way that I can ever comprehend the depths of your love. But Father, today I choose to believe that it is there for me. And I receive your love. What was I doing as I prayed there? I was just simply meditating on the love of God. Of all the things that you can allow to consume your thoughts, let the solution be the thing that holds your thoughts. Amen? Yes, right. Pastor Robin.